welcome back to The Pilgrim Soul, a podcast about the journey of faith in the world of today. I'm your host, Juliana. And I'm Sophia. And today, we're so happy to be bringing you our second episode in our series of interviews with listeners. This one is with Jess from Florida. Enjoy. I'm delighted to introduce Jess to the podcast. Jess, welcome to The Pilgrim Soul. I'm so happy you're joining us uh, in particular because as we were just discussing before we flipped the mics on, I feel like so many of the things that I've been able to share on the podcast have actually been fruits of my relationship with you. You're a bit of an exception on this episode as I did not meet you through the podcast, (laughs) but our relationship uh, preceded it, though I would say has certainly deepened through this uh, additional form of accompaniment that it gives us. And so I'm grateful to have you on and be able to share some of your story and your heart uh, with all of our listeners So I'm wondering if you could start us off by telling us who you are, where you are, what you do, who is Jess? Oh boy, thank you so much. Um, It is a huge honor and privilege to be a guest on The Pilgrim Soul. I'm Jessica. I am from Gulf Breeze, Florida, which is just outside Pensacola in Northwest Florida. I am currently a fourth-year medical student at Florida State College of Medicine, and so for our clinical years, they send us all across the state, so I'm actually able to live very close to home um, for my clinical years, which are years three Mm -hmm. and four. I'm about halfway through my fourth year, and I'm planning on going into internal medicine, so adult medicine is the, the fancy word for adult medicine. I met you, Sophia, uh, at Notre Dame, uh, where we were both a part of the CLUE Communion Liberation for University students up there. Yeah. Yeah. Although we weren't super close during college, I tell people you were out of my league. I needed to. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> there was... Okay. Not true. <laughs> there was some personal growth that needed to happen before I could <laughs> enter into the glory. Um, but yeah, in part because uh, your journey of following Christ wholeheartedly uh, started at a young age. I mean, you had an encounter with Christ that enabled grace to reach you in a compelling and transformative way. And that set you on a beautiful path that has led to where you are now. So yeah, would you share um, where did that pilgrimage begin? How did it happen? And through through which faces did Christ reach you? Absolutely. So going into my freshman year of high school, I attended a Catholic summer camp in North Georgia. And at this point, my, I mean, I grew up in a Catholic family. Uh, we faithfully went to Sunday Mass. I went to religious education growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not sure that I found the faith as something intriguing or particularly relevant to my own life. And so I went to this summer camp and saw that these camp counselors who were college students were really alive and really happy. Mm. And I wondered if this had anything to do with the fact that they knew Christ because we were at a Catholic summer camp. And so I came back with a bunch of questions about the faith with this intuition that it might make me happier, like bring more life into my life. And it turns out that providentially 
One of our camp counselors ends up becoming our youth minister at my home parish. And I was so fascinated by her mm-hmm. and our parish priest, who were the most interesting people I had ever met. Um, I would spend many days after school <laughs> going to the church and just asking them all of my questions about the faith, but but about life. And I was so enriched by the conversations that we had, um, seeing that these were people who took their lives really seriously and asked meaningful questions and thought about things and were like drinking deeply from life. And so eventually uh, in high school, my relationship with both of them grew. And through my parish priest and my youth minister, Came, became acquainted with uh, the charism of communion and liberation, I guess most formally for the first time uh, when I was asked to give a talk or a group at the high school on Thanksgiving and uh, choosing the gospel with the 10 lepers and the one leper who returns mm-hmm. to give thanks to Christ and asking my parish priest for help in coming up with like, what do I say about this? And he quoted something from a beginning day text by, or a beginning day talk that was given by Father Medina. And I later asked him for the quote because it was so striking to me. And he gave me the quote and sent me the beginning day text for the high school students in the movement. And I read it and thought, this is unlike anything I have ever read before. Mm. It's so, like, I, I just don't even have words for it. And so starting with that, and then um, I think I, like, bought the religious sense and read through it with, with my parish priest. My encounter with the movement at first was one of attraction through this text that I had read. But then really getting into the work of what the movement invites us to do, which is compare our lived experience to the things that we read and seeing how Christ enters into all of reality. It was a very uncomfortable experience for me as a high school student who was very good at attending class, soaking in information, regurgitating and repeating. Mm. And Mm. so it was a very provocative for me to have someone really ask me, like, how do you know that your mother loves you? And me, yeah. like, I've never read this in a textbook before. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. And um, yeah, so grateful for the tenderness and patience of um, my youth minister and parish priest. And through them seeing the way in which they lived, which was Fidelity to the sacraments, to daily mass, fidelity to liturgy of the hours, at which point those became more a part of, here and there, more a part of the way in which I lived my faith. I eventually graduated high school and went to Notre Dame, at which I first formally started attending school of community up there. And I mean, the rest is history. I don't know. Uh, Life just keeps getting more beautiful and uh, richer. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I I never tire hearing of that story and my gratitude for those faces and the way that they took seriously your own life and your questions as you came to them is just so profound. Um, and I think 
it's so funny to identify those elements of your youth minister and the other counselors, those elements of their lives that struck you because those are things that I think now in your life strike the people Mm. around you. And so it's amazing Mm. how it's through following the people who have met Christ that we become more like Christ. We begin to have Mm. this density of life and this saturation of joy and this capacity to ask questions and and it doesn't take away you know all of our problems or our weakness and we don't have all the answers but we have the questions and we know the place where the answer lives Mm -hmm. in in the church i'm struck too by in your story how your encounter begins with an attraction to the people around you and the way that Mm -hmm. they were living and a curiosity and what followed was the education and the maturing in faith and the, the formal path of becoming more serious. But it started it started with just a simple attraction. And, and I think that's true for all of us in our encounters, whether it happens when we're young or when we're old, whether it's immediate or whether it's more gradual over a period of many years. Ultimately, the story of our faith is a love story. And it starts like any love story does by falling in love. Exactly. And I think that that has really important lessons when we think about our work in building the kingdom of God and our work in evangelization and and what form that should take. Um, So I'm really grateful that you shared that. Unlike Sophia, I had not heard your story before. So (laughs) it's a gift. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and the questions, it's clear that the questions that you had then, in a sense, are the same questions you have now. And so Mm. it provokes me to look at the young people around me in a different way, right? Mm -hmm. And also, maybe not just the young people, but the people who are new in their faith and maybe don't even know Mm. Christ yet, that those are the same questions in their heart that live in my own and that continue to animate my pilgrim journey. So toward that end, I'd be really interested in hearing about your current work in medicine, your learning from the doctors who teach you, but also witnessing to them in turn of your faith and your love of the truth and and also with your patience. Like, how do you see this dynamic of question and answer of discovery of the presence of Christ as corresponding to my heart? How do you see this dynamic taking shape in, in the hospitals in your day-to-day? Mm, absolutely. Huh. Um. Yeah, that's a big question. It's <laughs> a big question. I mean, quite simply, when I'm living at my happiest, I enter everything with this big desire for fulfillment. And so I'm constantly seeking the face of the Lord in everything, whether it's better understanding uh, the pathophysiology of a condition, because we know that the world is ordered and makes intrinsic sense also is constantly ever an invitation to wonder, wow. Yeah. But also um, questions of coming face to face with Christ in in my patients, um, in the doctors that I get to work with, and really being blown away by by just how good people are. And so in that sense, like Sophia, as we frequently talk about, the efficacy of baptism as is hinted at in the end of the affair. Um, These people who who are a reflection of goodness himself, whether or not they know him. But I can see this and call it 
for what it is. And so he's glorified in a, in a hidden way. Mm-hmm. And I get to invite them through my relationship with them to better see this about themselves and enter into a true relationship with him. Yeah, I learn so much from, again, uh, this path of attraction. I'm so happy <laughs> uh, to be a medical student. And it has to be, I mean, there are probably other medical students who are very happy. But I think I look at myself and wonder that I'm so happy because I'm able to take every day as an invitation from him um, and yeah. an adventure to live with him, which means that like, okay, happy might not be the word I want to use, but glad in the sense that even when it's a hard day, it leaves me with questions about how do I live this with you? What do you have to show me here? Um, Or when it's a beautiful day, wanting to make sure that I don't just live in the good feelings that have arisen, but like give thanks to the one who, who has made the day so beautiful. I can offer just a couple of, yeah, examples from mm-hmm. from my daily work. Please. So I was drawn to internal medicine. I would be remiss if I weren't to point out that a huge reason why I was drawn to internal medicine, not only my mom is a physician, so there's that, and she happens to be an internal medicine doctor, but um, it really became my own through my clinical rotation in internal medicine. And I was blown away by the doctors in the hospital that I was working with, who I saw in a way like no other physician I'd really worked that closely with before up to that point, a deep care for their patients, like taking the extra time to sit down on the bed and hear the patient and come back and check on them and get them a hot coffee because their breakfast had come and the coffee was cold. And the littlest, like turning on the TV volume when you leave the room because you've turned it off to be able to better hear their story. Um, And just the simple, tender human moments that these physicians would lace their encounters with. I was so moved by this and saw both something that I aspired to, um, but also something that gave me permission. Like this was already something I had intuited in myself. I desire to practice medicine in a very human way. And in these physicians, I saw something very human and they were very passionate about their work. So I saw at once something that I could aspire to, but also something that was already there within me. And it gave me more permission mm-hmm. to, to breathe more deeply into what it is that I, I had intuited was how I wanted to live my medicine, my vocation in medicine. I think about a patient that. Um, with one physician I was taking care of. And I thought that the best way to care for this patient was going to be listening to her exhaustively and trying to answer her every need. And so at a certain point in following this patient in the hospital, I began to experience some compassion fatigue. Mm. And I was really scandalized at myself for this fact. Like, I don't, my spontaneous affection isn't for this patient. Why? And without prompting, we like walk out of this patient's room one day and the physician that I'm working with says, the the patients that you think are exaggerating or are more difficult to care for are the patients that you have to go above and beyond for 
because you might miss something Mm -hmm. in your own intrinsic instinctive reaction against them. I'm paraphrasing him, what he said. But, and this was so revolutionary to me because rather than needing to have a spontaneous like for every patient, it was okay to acknowledge when some patients were difficult and I didn't like them right away. But it was in acknowledging this about uh, my own reaction in front of the situation that I was better able to care for them. Um, So I would err on the side of doing everything extra to caution against my own knowledge that my, to quote from the religious sense, my emotions weren't helping me focus my lens of reason in the way that I desired. So I was needing this external help to better enter into relationship with with this person or this patient. Mm. And most recently, I've been on a, a rotation with another physician and it's been a great invitation to see how prideful I am. <laughs> and in this way, it's been, it's been good to grow in humility. But it's also been a real occasion to see that correction is an action of charity. Mm. And when this correction comes from someone that you know desires your good, you're able to lean into it and continue to take risks and receive this correction, knowing that as it's currently Advent and the reading today from Isaiah, like knowing that the Father gives correction in order to help you walk to your destiny. Mm-hmm. And, and so I desire to be a good clinician, a good doctor, which is a little bit different as this physician that I'm working with points out. Being a good doctor also entails caring for people well, in addition to having all the knowledge. And so I'm able to receive correction in freedom, knowing that this person loves me and wants my good and so is helping redirect my steps to the proper path. I'm blown away, as I've said before, by by the physicians that I get to work with and the patients that I get to see, because I'm constantly invited to ask questions and invited to really wonder at the the diversity of the body and how this is such a beautiful thing. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for those examples and those, I mean, snippets of what is an even richer landscape of the things that you're learning and observing and in the hospital. And I, But I think it's clear from the examples that you gave that it's an incredible school of conversion broadly understood of the work mm-hmm. of becoming yourself of having a reason that's developed of learning to see reality as the lord sees it but in particular i want to highlight this aspect of i think one of the things that that emerges in your relationship with your doctors and patients is is the meaning of offering of what it means to offer things to christ to offer actions and sacrifices and people and to offer things to christ means to affirm that the substance of that thing is Christ, that the meaning of that thing is Christ, that thing subsists in Christ. Mm. Your patients subsist in Christ, and therefore it's him suffering in that hospital bed, and so therefore you treat them with this dignity. Mm. Your doctors subsist in Christ, and so you learn from them as you would from Christ the teacher, and you treat them with the awareness that their heart is made for the same thing as yours, and all things subsist in Christ. And so even with like long hours and and difficult tasks, like you can have a gladness in work mm-hmm. that I have been so edified in these years and has been such an occasion for me 
to, yeah, be more nourished and begin again in undertaking the same path exactly where I find myself to learn to offer and and to recognize this as the truth of reality. Yeah. So like Sophia said, I too am edified and encouraged by the way that you live your work and how you encounter Christ there. And I noticed that the difference between you and another doctor could just be twofold. One, a difference in gaze of Mm. what you notice and what you're looking for. And two, a difference in your yes. You notice him there Mm. and then you are able to say yes to him. And how you could go through all the motions and be motivated, be noticing something different or saying yes to something different, whether it's money or power or reputation or even just a desire to help people, but a more superficial one. And you could miss that. And what that means for my own work and what that means for my own life. Like, where does my gaze need to be purified? Where does my yes need to be purified? Because I think your experience is a testament to the richness of what is offered to us Mm. in everything, in our our daily reality. Yeah, agreed. And I'm excited that I will get to continue to learn these things from your experience (laughs) as you are entering uh, residency interview season. So exciting. Or have been in residency interview season. So yeah, as we're wrapping up our time together today in that regard and with respect to all the things you've shared about what you've been learning about yourself and Christ and growing in relationship with him, what desires are animating your steps forward on this pilgrim journey? Desires for yourself, desires for the world. Mm, wow. <laughs> these are these are big questions. We don't mess around here. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. This is no this is no easy feat. Um I guess simply, I desire to desire uh, the Lord more and more um, because everything follows from that. And so I want to be ever more wounded by him and thus like ever more unable to go a day, a moment without feeling my great need for him and thus clinging to him and everything. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I hope for life to only become more full and more rich, um, which I think is reasonably follows from this desire that I have to desire more. Like, I hope that this desire continues to be fulfilled and thus I continue to desire more. Mm-hmm. Right. And then with this desire to to become more myself um, as the one who the Lord made me to be, there was, yeah, a huge step in the beginning middle of my third year in which I recognized I'm I'm doing myself I'm doing actually a disservice to uh, the medical community when I try to attempt to anticipate the expectations of others when I don't even know at all what they are and try to attempt to fit into these expectations rather than just, bring myself, which at that point in time was a beginning third-year medical student with some medical knowledge and a lot of mistakes that were going to be made. Um, And once I realized, once I gave myself permission to be where I was, which was not a fully licensed doctor, but a learning student, I became so much more free and so much happier life became so much richer because 
the Lord uses us to save us. And so in attempting to fill some expectation that was actually nebulous and idealized, and I'm not even sure, like trying to anticipate the expectation of another that may or may not even have been a good expectation. Rather than that, um, like becoming more a daughter of the father who who knows that she's loved and will make mistakes, but's been given everything. And and so walking forward in that. And so I hope that in this way, I get to become ever, ever more myself. Mm. And I just, as I alluded to before, my hopes for other people. Yeah, being severely wounded by, by just how good the people are that I encounter, um, the patients I spend a lot of time with with doctors um, day in and day out, and just seeing just how good they are, and desiring ever more for everyone that I encounter on a daily basis to know the one for whom they're made. Yeah, and it's it's painful to to live this um, awareness. And granted, it's it's a waxing and waning awareness, but for the most part, it's it's pretty painful to to live with such a fullness, um, or at least having tasted such a fullness and desiring this for everyone that I encounter. And so, as Sophia, you you rightfully pointed out this thread um, of offering, like offering these people to to the Father and hoping that they come to know him, whether through me or in in the Lord's timing, but but really desiring that everyone comes to know to know the one for whom they're made. And if it comes through me, great, but the Lord is free. Mm. Uh, And so I live with fidelity into the gifts that he's given me, but I, and, and I offer. That's really beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Perfect reflection. We're recording this on the first Sunday of Advent and it's perfect timing and yeah nourishing the seeds that have been planted by this morning's mass and the seeds of certainty that the meaning of time is anticipation of Christ and that he's not delaying but is giving us this time so that as you said our desire can grow and our certainty that he's the answer to our desire can grow and so that we can bring more and more and more people whom we love and who love us along with us as we we run to meet him so yeah, so thank you for for what you shared today, but also for the radiant, luminous witness of your life. Um, I'm not sure if we're releasing this before or after the New York Encounter, but if it's before the New York Encounter, for those of you who will be at the New York Encounter, so will Jess. So you <laughs> can have the, the great joy of meeting her in person. But yeah, thank you for joining us today and thank you for accompanying us so faithfully on this Pilgrim Soul podcast journey. Oh, we have one more thing. Oh, Please, how could I forget? We wanted you, Jess, um, we'd be very grateful if you would offer a media recommendation, any sort of book or music or piece of art that you think would edify us and help us live our pilgrim journey. Sure. So I am really bad at picking single things. Like you ask me (laughs) for a favorite and I say I have 10. Yeah. So... Um, I've been thinking about this podcast and the purpose of it, I think, if, if I've understood correctly, is to demonstrate that, that the podcast is a reciprocal enrichment. 
Yeah. And, and so I've been thinking about, um, again, wounded by, by the glorious people that I encounter on a daily basis. I frequently joke that I would like to own a hospital one day and just have everyone that I've ever encountered work with me at this hospital. So I have been thinking about several songs that call to mind this walking together, though apart towards the same one, mm. as an image of, I think, what, what the episode is meant to be. And, and in this way, living together, even though maybe not physically, and even though maybe not talking for days, months, years on end, uh, maybe never seeing a person again that you um, love or know, or even more mysteriously, being united to someone you've never met in a deep and true way. Yeah. So for people who feel like they need to follow the rules, don't feel like you need to listen to all of these songs. But I have a few that I think are an image of this. The O Salutaris Hostia by Eric Essenwalds. And the way in which those voices harmonize and Mm. call out the beauty of the others, but they're all directed towards the one to whom they're singing. Mm. The Ascension by Phil Wickham, um, this ascent further up, further in mm-hmm. as, as the pilgrim journey. Hope by Tom Rosenthal featuring uh, hmm. Lizzie McAlpine. I don't know that one. Me neither. And this dimension of I would need to have the lyrics in front of me to better give why. But, but this dimension of walking together though apart on the pilgrim journey and a little bit of everything as this Mm. articulation of the fact that the mystery dwells in the little things in and among us Mm. um, and yet remains ever mystery. So both very near to us and ever mysterious. And I think that, Oh, I guess also you could start a cult um, with Niall Horan and Lizzie McAlpine as this understood as as this being sung directed towards the Lord in which um, following him is is the most reasonable thing. Um, And then finally, my Pensacola peeps asked me to give them a shout out. So I'm going to do that now. (laughs) You came prepared with those media recommendations and I appreciate that. (laughs) I appreciate that so much. We'll put links. We can in start the, a just playlist. <laughs> yeah, honestly, honestly, there are those out there, and they bless the world. <laughs> um, do you want to shout out your Pensacola peeps by name? Sure, that would be Nick, Hannah, and Jade. We love you. I well, I love you also. No, we love, love you. you. Thank yeah. you for listening. <laughs> we love you. Awesome. All right. Well, I think that concludes our time together, but I've been so enriched by this and really look forward to sharing it with everyone. If anyone has any questions for Jess, medical or otherwise, <laughs> you can pass them on to you write to us at pilgrimsoulpodcast at gmail.com and we will forward them to her with the disclaimer that she is not yet a clinician. Thank you. <laughs> but please do pray for her in these final months of medical school and I am sure that she prays for you because she's told me she does. <laughs> and that's all that we have. We'll see you next month. Thank you, guys. It's been a privilege.